You know, we have always said as a church family, it's healthy for us to always gather together, whether we're online or in the room, and know that we're gonna hear a word from God, but wonder how He's going to deliver it. I am so excited as the pastor of Lake Hills Church to know that God's about to do something great in our church family and coming out of this weekend. Bill and Janita Jones have been members of our church for years. Bill serves on our board of directors. And our church is better, stronger, and healthier because of the Jones family. Now, if you've been around here any amount of time at all, you've probably heard Bill speak before, and so you know he knows what he's doing. But I want you to know that behind the scenes, we are a better church because of Bill and Janita Jones. Bill's friendship to me, his counsel, his input, his leadership in our community, in our state, in our nation, makes us a better church. So I wanna ask you if you will, whether you're at home or in the room, stand to your feet and give a crazy Lake Hills Church welcome for Bill Jones. So uh, I walked into the bank like this and said, give me all my money. They didn't think it was funny either. Uh, I always say this, but I don't want anyone to ever take this for granted. We really appreciate what the church is doing for Mac and Julie to give them a little time off. Look, this time has been tough for all of us, uh, and it's been especially tough for Mac and Julie as they decide what to do during all of this that we're going through. And, to give them a little time away from us is always appreciated. And on behalf of the church and the leadership, I thank the church for indulging us to give them a little time off. Um, so uh, if you remember last year when I spoke, it was the first time I asked Mac to let me speak for two Sundays in a row. I did a series, if you recall, for those of you who were here, on something called disruption. Now, I'm not saying I'm a prophet. And I'm not saying I'm clairvoyant or any of that, because I got to tell you, the disruption I had in mind then were, you know, things like personal illness and change in life, like a move or a job change or children maybe going astray or marriages going through disruption. I, I really didn't have in mind a worldwide pandemic and a worldwide economic cratering and the oil and gas field cratering and all of what we're going through now. But you know what? Same response applies. Same response applies. So we're going to do a little paper grading this morning. If you remember, last year we talked about the disruption, and, and there are two things you're supposed to look for. First of all, you're supposed to look for your blessing in the disruption. Have you been looking for your blessing in this disruption? Personally, my wife and I have been blessed throughout all of this. We were fortunate enough. Last year, if you remember, I was, we were getting ready to move, which I wasn't really seeing as a blessing, but it was. And we bought a new house just before the COVID thing broke up. So there's nothing better than being in a new house when you can't go anywhere else. 
because you got a lot of stuff you got to do. Lots of honeydews for you know who. We were blessed with uh, work. I work for myself. I'm self-employed. And I did not furlough myself. I thought about it, but I decided against it. We were blessed. Um, probably the biggest blessing was we got a new grandbaby, March 26. Let me introduce you to Harlow Elaine Jones. Yeah, now look at that. I mean, there's just preciousness personified right there. My son Cameron and my daughter-in-law Shannon had her in the middle of the COVID crisis. Uh, he couldn't come and go from the hospital. He had to stay in with her. So we had to go work through all that. But that is a blessing. And yes, I know it's a cheesy way to show a picture of my grandbaby. But I'm a new granddad, and I really don't care. And it might happen again next Sunday, too, just warning you. Being a blessing, were you a blessing to someone? Have you been a blessing to someone? Are you a blessing to someone as we go through all this? Me, I tried to be a blessing to my wife. We were together all the time. Typically, we're not. She works in Houston. I'm traveling back and forth to D.C. quite a bit. We were together for two, two and a half months. So what I did is because she would go into her office upstairs at 6.30 in the morning, come out at 6.30 or 7 at night, I would bring her warm cashews and pistachios for a mid-morning break. i make her lunch, slide it under the door like she was in prison, because <laughs> she kind of was. She'd come downstairs, go for a run, walk, come back from a walk, shower. I would have a gourmet dinner prepared every night. And I did this every night. And I'm not talking about just, you know, slapping a Vienna sausage on a grill. I made scallops and steelhead trout, dry-aged beef, bok choy, shredded collard greens, uh, grilled veggies, asparagus, something different every night. Every night to try to be a blessing to her. So the fact that we're going through this disruption uh, doesn't change. So grade your paper. You can give yourself your own grade. You don't have to show it to me. But grade your paper during this disruption. Now, part of this disruption uh, that we're dealing with right now deals with a racial upheaval that we've got going on in our country. I mean, the plagues just keep coming. Mac and I were talking about this. I said, Mac, I seem to recall there were 10 plagues in the Bible. We're up to number, what, five or six? You might want to have Deanne Wilson keep track because I think when we get to nine and 10, it gets real important. But we are. We're going through just thing after thing after thing, and it's kind of like a heavyweight bout back in the old days with Ali, Frazier, and Foreman, and Norton, and all those guys, and they would go 12 and 15 rounds, and you just feel like, ah, can I do this? I got an, another thing that I'm just exhausted. And as Christ followers, what are we called upon to do, particularly as it relates to race relations? It is a sensitive subject. It is one that nobody likes to have. 
We don't run out and seek to have conversation about race relations. Why? Because it's sometimes a hard conversation. We don't enjoy our freedoms alike. And so the next two Sundays, we're going to talk about freedom as I see it, as I see it from my perspective. I want to share with you. But before we get to the lesson, I want to give you a little story about my experience with law enforcement. I was pulled over on the way to my hometown, Caldwell. Johnita's brother and I were going to meet to go on a hunt. My brother was in town from Chicago, and he wanted me to bring him something to go on a hunt with us, to shoot. We were going to hunt pigs and dove. Do not write me cards and letters about hunting, okay? Just hang on. It's part of the story. And by the way, no animals were harmed during the filming of this story. We didn't get anything. So I'm driving to my hometown, Caldwell. Before I get to the county line, I'm on the phone with my sister-in-law, and I get distracted, and I get pulled over by a DPS trooper for speeding. He asks me to come to the back of my truck, bring my proof of insurance and driver's license. I have a license to carry. Don't judge me. Just stand down. It's part of the story, okay? And in the law in Texas, if you have a license to carry, you get pulled over, you're supposed to tell the police officer that you have a license to carry and that you are carrying or that you're not carrying. You've got to tell them. That's part of the law. So I go to the back. I give him my driver's license. I give him my proof of insurance. I give him my license to carry. And I say, and I am carrying. This officer said, what are you carrying? And I paused, I went, well, here goes. I took a deep breath and I said, I have a Walther 40 Cal, I have a Beretta 45 Special Ops, I have a Winchester Model 1892 repeating rifle, I have an AR-15 223, I have a Browning Satori over and under shotgun, I have a Remington 1187 shotgun, I have a Beretta 22, and by this time, he stopped looking at my insurance papers, and he's looking at me like this. <laughs> like I have a third eye here. I finish my list, and he goes, what was that Beretta Special Ops 45? And we spend 15 minutes on the side of the road talking about weaponry. He goes back to his squad car. He comes back with a warning and goes, yeah, you're driving too fast, slow down. Here's a card to a guy in Round Rock that operates out of his garage, and you can get some materials for your AR, and you can, he sells for a lot cheaper than you can. So let me just make sure everybody is clear. I know times have changed because a black man is driving a black truck, gets pulled over with weaponry and ammunition, and I get a card from the police officer to go get some more stuff. So I recognize times have changed. I'm a member of the Austin Crime Commission. It is a group of businessmen and leaders throughout the community that helps support the police officers and their efforts to, for funding. And uh, in that committee, I've gone out to the training center where they train cadets. 
And we were put in situation exercises just like they do the cadets, where they give us a pistol, they put us in a situation where there's a fight or there's a, some kind of thing, and you have to make a decision on what you're going to do, shoot or not shoot. So I understand some of what they go through. I knew Chief Art Acevedo, who's now the chief in Houston. I know Chief Brian Manley. They're both good men with good hearts. So I understand our police officers and our law enforcement officials. I was on Parks and Wildlife. We have our own law enforcement in Parks and Wildlife called Game Wardens. Some of the best folks on the planet Earth. Johnita's first cousin is a game warden in Parks and Wildlife. He's a member of our family. Yet, we have an issue in this country that is yet to be addressed. And I've been getting a lot of phone calls ever since the George Floyd incident. Lots of phone calls from lots of friends. I've gotten so many phone calls, it was difficult to prepare for this service because people kept calling and wanted to talk. And I talked to everybody that called. And then finally, it hit me like a two by four. Maybe that's the message. Because apparently, we all are hurting right now, and we're not exactly sure what to do with this thing called race relations in America. So let's talk about it. We're going to talk about I'm going to let you in on my phone conversations. I'm going to let you hear some of what I heard so that we all can understand each other. The first thing that we need to talk about just before we launch into the next two weeks is that we celebrate freedom differently in this country. This coming Saturday, we're going to celebrate July 4th, which is celebration of our independence from England with the Declaration of Independence signed July 4th, 1776. But we just finished celebrating Juneteenth from 1865 when General Granger arrived on the Galveston shores of Texas with news that the slaves were free with the Emancipation Proclamation from Abraham Lincoln, that is, the slaves in the southern states. The slaves in the nation weren't freed until the 13th Amendment was passed six months later in December of 1865. So we celebrate freedom differently. And we are in that season of celebration. But because of that, I think we have a different understanding of freedom and how it has been applied in this country. And I think if we can all get on the same page of that understanding, we can find common ground and solve some of these issues that we have. One of the things that I want to start with is a verse in Galatians. And it sets the foundation for us as Christ followers and how we are to deal with this. If you look at Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 13. And Paul is writing a letter to the people in Galatia, and he says to them, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. That very short scripture is very powerful because it sets up how we as Christ followers are to view 
this world that we live in, particularly as it relates to race relations. He first of all sets up the freedom that we all enjoy from the shackles of sin. Once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're freed from the shackles of sin. And he says, you have a choice at that point. You can continue to indulge in the flesh. And what that means is all those things we typically like to do, like, oh, hate, revenge, malice, sowing of discards, sending out a Twitter that's snarky. He says, you have a choice. You can do that. But why would you use the freedom that you've enjoyed from being saved by the saving grace of Jesus Christ to do that when you can instead serve others humbly in love, which is as Christ followers what we're supposed to do. Serve. Now, what does that mean? Serve means you are supposed to look out for me. You are supposed to put my interest ahead of yours. And I am supposed to look out for you and put your interest ahead of mine. You ever, anybody here ever been a waiter or a waitress? When you serve others, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make sure they are taken care of. You're trying to make sure they have a good experience. And some of your customers are not very nice. Some of them are kind of needy. Some of them are actually unreasonable, quite frankly, in some of their requests. But you are a server, and you look out for their needs, and you satisfy their needs no matter what. And that's what we are called to do as Christ followers. And if we look at this issue, hello, if we look at this issue that we're dealing with as servers rather than takers, then I think it helps us all set the framework for answers and to come to common ground. And it also says humbly, not pridefully. And when I say that, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to win all the time. You, you do need to be right, but you don't have to win. And in love, the way Jesus loved us, and that's unconditionally. So there are three ways to exercise this freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. One is with our heart, one is with our ears, and one is with our mouth. We're going to cover the heart and the ears today, and we'll cover the mouth next week. The first thing that we have to do as Christ followers is use our hearts. Now, I don't know what kind of knot I tied in this thing, but it's apparently my Boy Scout days have uh, come back to haunt me. Um, the best thing you can tell another person, one of the best things you can tell another person is, I understand. Your wife, your children, your parents, your Aunt Matilda, I understand. You may not agree, but you can at least tell them, I understand. It ranks up there with, I forgive you, I love you, and I'm sorry. I understand. And if we look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 4, 
and then six. Ephesians one through four and six. I'm gonna get this one way or the other. I might have to get some assistance. This is a really cool knot. I got an Eagle Scout here that might have to come give his dad a hand. There we go. We're good. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 and 6. says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's that word calling again. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the first thing we see here to understand with the heart is that we have a calling. That is something that we are supposed to do after we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's something we're supposed to do. It's a calling. And that calling includes putting aside our pride, being humble, putting aside that which lifts me up, and instead focusing on what lifts you up. And then proceeding with care, Gentle, gentle. Right now, the language that I'm hearing seems to be that everybody is retreating to their corner, coming out fighting in the middle and seeing who's left standing after all of the carnage. And we're called as Christ followers to proceed with care, gentle. And it doesn't matter if the person that you're talking to, speaking with, having dinner with, working with is aggressive, we are called to be gentle and proceed with care, particularly at this time, and to be patient. With the fact that we have access to text, Twitter, Instagram, email, which is now considered snail mail, we don't have to respond right away to things that we see. When we wrote with an inkwell and a quill and parchment, you had to consider every word you wrote down because you couldn't make a mistake. You, you had to think about what you wrote, and now we don't think about it. We just write stuff and throw it out there, see what happens and see how many, how many likes we get. Proceed slowly with care and patience. Packing each other. Hmm. Wait, what does that mean? Bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? That means I'm supposed to carry your weight. That means when your backpack gets full, I'm supposed to come take some of that load off of you. That's how we are to proceed as Christ followers. And in peace, not discord. The other thing it tells us is that we are unified. We're all serving the same God. And that same God is through us and in us and works with us the same. 
There's not a different God in me than is in you. So we are all unified in Christ. Now, given that background, let's talk about some of the phone calls that I've had. Most of the people that call me said, Bill, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how we are at this place in American history. I mean, we've had a black president that was elected twice. We had black kids in the White House. We had a black first lady. How is it that we're in this spot? What have I missed? Well, we've had, and I'm not going to fuss with you if you come up with more, but in my view, we've had three racial upheavals in this country. One was 1865, at the end of slavery. The racial upheaval was those who once were slaved were now put on equal footing with the slave owner. And it turned the apple cart upside down. And America struggled with what to do with it. And it didn't really change until 1965, 100 years later, when the Civil Rights Act was passed. And there was another racial up upheaval, protests, rioting in the streets. And by the way, rioters and protesters are different. My dad was a protester. He was a member of the NAACP. He was a Baptist minister and a rancher. You don't get any more conservative than that. He, protest he protested in a suit with shiny shoes. He wouldn't destroy anybody's property if you paid him. There is a difference in a rioter and a protester. A rioter is a criminal looking for an opportunity. A protester is someone whose voices can't be heard in any other way, so they go protest so their voices can be heard. Don't get confused about those two. But that was our second racial upheaval in this country. I happened to be born in the middle of the one and the two. I was born in 1959. I'm 60 years old. So I had part of my life in the post-Civil War, pre-1965 era. I went to school with only black kids for the first three years of my schooling. In 1968, we integrated in my hometown. And I went to school with white kids. So I got to experience post-Civil War and the post-racial upheaval of 1965. I think we're in a third upheaval in our country. And I think as Christ followers, we need to be involved and we need to have a say. But we do it differently. We do it with understanding, seeking understanding, like all of my friends who call me. And we do it with love. And we do it thinking about serving rather than defending my position, which I don't intend to change. It is an opportunity that those of us who follow Christ can't afford to let go. We need to understand this undercurrent that has been existing in America since, quite frankly, the formation of our country. The undercurrent has been pressed down, and it is sometimes difficult to see, but it's still there. And every now and then it bubbles up in the form of something we see on television or that somebody records with a cell phone. It's there. It's real. 
the new generation, there's a, there, there are those who were born only in the post-civil rights movement, and they have a different perspective because they didn't see some of what was done and what was seen before the pre-civil rights movement. And so that leads to the last thing that we're going to cover today, and that is over-listening. We have to understand, and in order to understand, you have to over-listen. Yeah, I know, it's a play on words. Understand, over-listen. What are I mean by over-listen? Uh, active listening. And to actively listen, whether you're talking to your spouse or your kids or your parents, you, you, you need to ask questions. If you really want to know what somebody's thinking, you want to know about their life experiences, you want to know about what's going on, you have to ask questions. I have my friends that have asked me, Bill, have you ever been pulled over for no reason at all? And I'll say, yeah. And they were shocked. They're like, you're a good guy. You don't commit crimes. And I said, no, I know. They said, but you never mentioned it. I said, you never asked. I'm not going to mention it every time we get together because then you wouldn't want to get together with me. I'd be a pain to be around. I'm not going to bring that stuff up, but if you want to know, ask me, and I'll gladly tell you about it. And by the way, I'm not a victim. I refuse to be a victim. I'm an American as much as anybody else in here, and I just want to enjoy what you want to enjoy. So listen, over-listen. There's one group that believes we're much further along than we, than we are. There's another group that believes we're not nearly as far along as we need to be. And both groups are partly right and partly wrong. So what we need to do is get the groups together and figure out exactly where we are, and then let's fix it. Now here's a problem with listening. If you listen, you might hear something you don't want to hear, okay? You might want to anticipate the agony of listening. And I'm going to give you all a confession here. I really, I, I really don't like to listen sometimes. I really don't. I mean, I, I just, I, I feel like I'm right most of the time. <laughs> so, so <clears throat> two weeks ago, I got a key stuck in the door at our board meeting at our ranch. I called my wife and said, I'm going to have to call the locksmith out. I got the key stuck in the door and I can't get the thing out. And I said, I've already got the locksmith coming. He'll be here tomorrow. And my wife very gently said, have you put some lubricant in the keyhole to see if that works? And I was like, oh, that's not going to work. But yeah, sure, whatever. So we hung up. I never committed to doing that, okay? I didn't commit to it. After we hung up, I went out in the garage and got the lubricant, squirted in the key. Within five seconds, the key came out. Whew, I didn't want to listen to that. <clears throat> she was right. I'm a country boy. I'm the fixer. Didn't want to listen. She was right. I was wrong. So, um, anybody here willing to listen? There's a man by the name of Shelby Foote. He's from Mississippi. He's now deceased, but during his life, he was considered the foremost authority on the Civil War in America. Ken Burns 
featured him prominently in his Civil War documentary that he put out several years ago. I saw Shelby Foote in Houston, Texas several years ago when I was a lawyer practicing down there and he came to speak to the Forum Club and he had question and answer session at the end of his speech and somebody asked him a question on a little three by five that the moderator, three by five card that the moderator would give to him. And it said, what was the most significant outcome of the Civil War and why? Now, I want you to read this response from Shelby, and then I'm going to tell you the response he gave at that, at that forum club meeting, which was very similar, but it's going to add a little more to it. A quote from Shelby Foote says, right now, I'm thinking a good deal about emancipation. One of our sins was slavery. Another was emancipation. It's a paradox. In theory, emancipation was one of the glories of our democracy, and it was. But the way it was done led to tragedy, turning four million people loose with no jobs or trades or learning. And then in 1877, for a few electoral votes, just abandoning them entirely. A huge amount of pain and trouble resulted. Everybody in America is still paying for it. He said something very similar to that at the Forum Club, except he said, America has two great sins from which it is yet to recover. The first of those sins was slavery. The second of those sins was emancipation. I was with him on the first, and I was like, on the second, wait, what do you mean? And he said, when you let four and a half million people go into your society and don't provide for them, provide for them to be educated, and provide for them to be incorporated into your society. He said it was a sin, one from which we have not yet recovered. And at that time, he said, we've tried other things. We've tried busing, and we've tried to fix it. All have fallen short. And he was kind of pessimistic. He said, I don't know if we will ever recover from it. Now, I'm not as pessimistic as Shelby Foote about this but are you willing to listen to what he has to say about it? A friend of mine named Curtis was hurting so bad after the George Floyd incident. He woke up one night at 3 o'clock in the morning and he wrote what he called his manifesto. He's white. He's a friend. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to read a little bit. I want you to listen to it. First of all, I have some really good men in my life that both pour into me and also that I can lean on in both tough times and times of celebration. Three of them are black, two are white, and one Hispanic. A true cross-section of America, but to me they are simply Daryl, Bill, Fred, Eddie, Todd, and Joe. All great Americans, all love this country and serve their country in some form or fashion. All enjoy their freedom. But are we all treated the same or viewed the same? To me, they are brothers. But how does the world see them individually? And here is his effort to understand. He goes on to say, let me say race issues have been a part of American history and things have improved, but have they improved enough? 
are we trying hard enough to make sure we really are the land of the free and that means equally free? It takes every one of us to make that happen. I ask myself, this morning, have I done enough? In my own, things will get better, or surely this won't happen again, kind of way, have I become part of the problem versus the solution? There are no perfect leaders except one. His name is Jesus, and he left a pretty darn good example of how to treat others. I say we follow his leadership model versus putting our faith in man and set a new tone in this country. Who's with me? He ends by saying, thank you, Daryl, Bill, Fred, Eddie, Todd, Joe, and many others for being my friend. <clears throat> and pouring into me all these years and allowing me to lean on you <clears throat> regardless of race you are all my brothers so uh, how are we doing as Christ followers are we seeking to serve are we seeking to bear up our brothers and sisters in Christ are we seeking to be that example We are at a crossroads in history. We often don't think of ourselves as being a part of history. We read history, we read biographies, and we watch movies about history, but we are history, and we can make history now during this upheaval. But you, but you gotta step out, and you gotta step out in a Christ-like way and you got to understand and seek to understand. And you got to be vulnerable a little bit and be willing to hear something that maybe you haven't heard before or maybe hear it in a different way. And, and you got to be gentle and kind even when others aren't being gentle and kind. It's our choice. And we have the freedom to make that choice. Let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as a body of Christ, as a body of believers, as a people whose faith is currently being tested as we seek to deal with one thing and then another, as we seek to understand and try to understand our fellow man. Father, you have blessed this country and you have blessed the people in this country. We ask that you place your hand on each and every one of us. Guide us, give us wisdom. The wisdom that Mac talked about a few Sundays ago. The wisdom of discernment 
and discretion. To understand and separate what is salty, what is true and right versus that which blows away like chafe in the wind. We ask that you would give each and every one of us the strength, the fortitude, and the courage to seek to understand and to listen so that we might guide others to you. And for those who, who don't know Christ, who don't know this freedom of which we discuss today, Father, we ask that you would place on their hearts to during this time of upheaval, give their lives to you. Hopefully those of us who are followers of Christ have given them something to hang on to. And if you're one of those people and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the time. There is no more perfect time than now. During this time of uncertainty, those of us who follow Christ know that there is one thing that is for certain, his love for us. It never fails. It never fades. The blessings are there. And if you want to be a part of that and a part of this family, all you have to do is ask. Just a simple prayer of, Father, I'm not exactly sure what it means, but I just know I want that love and that kind of grace. And I want to turn my life over to you so that I can live like that and I can think like that and I can be like that. Loving, kind, serving, and free of sin. And with every head bowed, every heart praying, if you've made that decision, let us know by lifting your hand. It is a, it is a physical manifestation of something that you have done in your heart. And it shows us that you're seeking to understand. At this church, as you put your hand down, we do something, we put our hands together to welcome you into the family process.